Hello, and welcome everybody to, according to Andrew, number 86, Christian China. So, <clears throat> uh, when I was driving home the other day, I was thinking, I don't know where this thought came to me from, but uh, what China would look like if they adopted Christianity, how they would end up adopting Christianity, what are the kind of uh, pros and benefits of, or pros and cons of them adopting it, uh, and, and some of the limitations on that. <clears throat> uh, before we kind of get into it, I want to make some uh, caveats and notes and stuff like that, just to clarify kind of the perspective I'm coming at it, because it might seem kind of cold and calculated and stuff like that, uh, but I'm just trying to look at it from a perspective that the Chinese would probably look at it from. So, uh, the note is, uh, while I am Christian, I believe it is, and it is the true path, I'm looking at this from a purely political lens, uh, being that China is uh, fairly wary of Christianity, uh, it is likely to look at it from this same lens. As such, uh, we must analyze the decision making matrix from their perspective as best as possible. I'm certainly no expert as to understanding Eastern modes of thinking, uh, so some of my assumptions or characterizations might be incorrect, but I will do the best that I can with the understanding that I have. So that's, I don't usually do caveats like that, but um, there's a lot here that I kind of uh, am going to end up uh, not glossing over, but um, different things that are going to happen. So I just wanted to kind of make that clear before we dived into it. All right, so, um, one problem uh, that the Chinese society has right now is a lack of religion, and I think Christianity could fill that void. Uh, historically, China has not liked Christianity because it shifts the culture from a shame-based culture into a guilt-based one. Uh, the difference between the shame-based and the guilt-based is that uh, shame, you're basically um, being shamed by your peers and stuff like that. It's much more a group, in-group preference style of society where guilt base is much more uh, getting laws passed down to you from a higher power. Uh, that's the Christian, how Christians have it set up. Uh, Muslims are a similar way, though. I think, I don't remember what their actual scale on their, their general society is. Um, they might have other things that factor more towards the uh, the shame-based. Um, anyway, uh, this is why mass mandates are easier to enforce in Eastern cultures than in Western ones. Uh, however, I think if Xi Jinping... Uh, wants China to rise to providence for the long term, this could be a way to do it. Uh, the church would look a lot more like the Anglican church than uh, Christian or uh, Catholicism or uh, orthodoxy. Though maybe orthodoxy might be a good fit. I don't know enough about orthodoxy to really speak on that, but um, I'm going to use the Anglican church as the model. Uh, I don't see China accepting Christianity any other way, and Western churches are so corrupt nowadays that it seems the best move. <clears throat> this will allow them to shape the cultural aspects of Christianity to fit the Chinese culture, similar to how Catholicism was shaped by Roman culture. That means ancestor worship and the respect for family can be preserved or even enhanced through this, uh, these uh, Christian traditions that are going to be introduced into the society and kind of fill a, a void or vacuum that's kind of... Like, they, they have Confucianism, and that kind of works, but it only hits a couple other things. Um, what if Alt-Hiss has this great definition of like what religion is i should have pulled that up here first but uh there's basically four main aspects of a religion you have your moral order you have your community you have uh ah, what are the other two i'm sorry i can't remember the other two i'll have to look it up before um next time uh did to do where we are um so they fit into this catholic model uh i actually see the catholic tradition of saints being barely very similar and adaptable to the ancestor worship model. Uh, you know, you you have these people that aren't... There's a lot of argument as to what the role of the saints are and if they're being considered idols and stuff like that, but <clears throat> setting all of that aside, I think that 
is a core tenant that, you know, a lot of the Romans, they kind of had an ancestor worship type thing as well. They always looked to the great men of the past, and you were always trying to um, live up to the expectations <clears throat> of your family and try to bring the family glory, at least the elite class was. And uh, China <clears throat> historically has had a similar thing. Now, I think my, a lot of that might have been destroyed with the culture, Mao's Cultural Revolution and stuff like that. But this is a way to kind of bring some of that back and <clears throat> give it a new kind of structure to help the transition back. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how some of this stuff would be perceived and accepted in uh, <clears throat> Chinese society. But I think it has a, a chance uh, to work. Uh, the pro uh, the potential problem is that this could threaten the state authority. Uh, this, <clears throat> uh, but I find this only true to an extent. If the government is corrupt, uh, then it, it threatens, then it is a threat. But Xi has stated that while the government is corrupt, China China has been weak and has done well to root out that corruption. <clears throat> uh, so how does one prevent this corruption from seeping back in? Historic uh, Christianity has historically in the West been that bulwark. Even with how corrupt the current church institutions are in the West, uh, the amount of effort that was put in by the satanic forces and the mass apathy of the faithful, uh, which, debatable if you consider them faithful, if they're apathetic to the, towards the whole thing, <clears throat> but even with all of that, there's still some redeeming qualities about the churches and stuff like that and what they offer and what they, they can give you, um, even though it's becoming harder and harder to justify a lot of this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> and even with even if the institutions themselves aren't uh, worth preserving or, or saving or stuff like that, the the Bible, the core tenets, the core teachings of the faith are worth saving and are worth preserving and, and have uh, real value and merit to them. <clears throat> um, this could keep China's corruption in check and make it as prosperous as the West was. Um, <clears throat> but to that point... Uh, do, 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 do. One issue that they could have is that uh, the church is being run by the state. And this is an issue that the Anglican Church came into as well, <clears throat> that the church didn't became corrupted because it it wasn't it was wasn't focused on trying to teach Christianity, it was focused on being a useful tool for control and stuff like that by the state. And instead of serving its primary function as a religion and as a church, uh, it succumbed and was subordinate to the state, and this caused issues uh, within the society. <clears throat> now, I, I don't think switch the China Chinese subjecting themselves to the awful state of the Catholic Church is necessarily any better, um, and I don't exactly know maybe what the best setup would be, but we'll see. And Orthodoxy has always been a kind of uh, state-run uh, religion to a certain extent as well. So maybe that's a better model as well. Again, I don't know uh, their stuff very well. But <clears throat> uh, this goes back to what I've been talking about the last couple podcasts, that if the church is subsumed, subsumed and subordinated to the state, then it isn't strong a strong bulwark against corruption as it will not be a separate in institution. Uh, for all the flaws and corruptions of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, the fact that it <clears throat> wanted to stay relevant as a political organization meant that it had to keep corruption in check to a certain extent. This also had the effect of all the other political entities having to keep their corruption in check or lose power to the Catholic Church or the, the other political entities that are vying for power, those political entities being the church, the, the crown, the nobility, and the talents.
Uh, and so this kind of worked, and I've talked about this the last couple of uh, podcasts, this worked in, and kind of balanced itself out until eventually things kind of ended up out of balance uh, due to the plague, and uh, the only couple that are left are, uh, the towns kind of shifted from towns into a merchant class, and the crown are kind of the two that are left in the west. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the And the, the church kind of fell out of uh, relevance, I guess, or in some aspects with the Anglican church got subsumed by the um, government, and then the nobility got subsumed by the government. So, uh, continuing on, uh, also, uh, like Greek philosophy was combined with the Bible to increase the understanding of both, of both China could combine Confucius teachings with Christianity to create their own theological heritage. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between the Stoics and Confucius. Uh, I haven't read a ton of either, but um, many times when you're reading uh, Meditations, uh, you would have thought Marcus Aurelius was a Christian because of the intellectual crossover there. I don't see why e the Eastern uh, groups couldn't do the same. <clears throat> and then, so, and then a couple other issues that are maybe barring China from taking on this characteristic and, and doing this uh, thing. One is uh, whether or not this sense of purpose would be more antagonistic and I kind of touched on this to the current regime, and it's supposed to keep corruption in check, but it could also create instability, and that's not what the uh, the ruling regime never wants instability. So uh, that is, and it would probably oh I didn't even factor this in is the it could could create fractions within the elite, and a fractured elite is generally the thing that ends up toppling regimes overall, because uh, if you don't have a unified elite, you can't uh, resist. Uh, popular uprisings and things like that. So there's some questions here, but uh, it's there's a chance that the gamble is worth it. You know, again, that's there's more things that you need to be looked into and, and things like that, but uh, we'll kind of dive in here. So it's hard to say, and the ruling class are not going to take a risk uh, on whether or not they're going to be in power over a coin flip. That seems unnecessary, uh, but let's look into this. Anything... Like anything, people can... Oh, okay. So, I don't even know what I was writing here. Um, so, let's just look at the primary tenet that Christianity will give the uh, Chinese people, which is hope. So, if people have hope, what would happen potentially within China? So, if people have hope, generally people have more kids. So, uh, and China just opened it up so that you can have two kids per family, I believe. Maybe three. Um, I don't know how much of a baby boom China could handle, but it would be interesting to see how much of a baby boom that could potentially cause. It, it seems like that would maybe take one or two generations to really happen, because I think it would take a while for the Christianity to spread throughout uh, the culture of China. But maybe it would take off like wildfire. You never really know with some of these things. Um... So you got a baby, potential baby boom. It could cause uh, more people to have purpose and meaning in life, therefore taking greater pride in their work and nation. So it could cause a uh, increased fervor in nationalism, <clears throat> which the Chinese want. Uh, increased uh, pride in work, therefore a greater uh, productive output and greater uh, higher quality things being shipped to other places can generate more money from trade and stuff like that, and also greater use for within 
uh, China as they transition from a kind of uh, lots of cheap, cheap labored stuff to higher quality advanced materials uh, in industry. This uh, additional pride and work could really help solidify. Uh, also, you know, China's already got a lot of beautiful buildings and great works and stuff like that, but this could cause a renaissance type inspiration to the Chinese people where you end up having more of these great works like the ones that have kind of been uh, showing on this podcast that have been sl slowly sliding through. Uh, you could have a, a rebirth of this kind of, not necessarily this style, but an increased amount of uh, artwork and stuff like that. And I know one of the things that people are worried about is because now everybody types, uh, the written language of China is being lost. So, uh, you know, people being inspired by more art and stuff like that could cause a rebirth and a rediscovering of some of uh, Chinese culture and heritage and stuff like that and really help solidify greater nationalism and greater uh, unity within the peoples. Uh, it could also be used to justify the surveillance state, so there's that. Uh, because you could kind of use the logic of, well, God's always watching, so now the state's always going to watch and they're going to make sure that you stay good so that you can go to heaven kind of thing. Um, and I don't see why they wouldn't try to justify that. That seems like a pretty logical, uh, rhetorical thing that they would do. There's other rhetorical tools that they can use, I'm sure, as well. So another big sticking point for China potentially not wanting to uh, switch to Christianity is the amount of Muslim countries on their borders, mainly on the east. I think there's a I mean, they have to do, Indonesia is the largest Muslim country, I believe. It's not exactly on their border, but um, it is in their neighborhood and probably going to be in their sphere of influence as they kind of take over as the world power. So, that being said, um, it probably creates a needless antagonism with those Muslim nations to switch from a basically Confucius, atheist-style uh, society to Christianity. And the reason that they would see that as more threatening, like, let's say they switch to Hinduism. I don't think they would find that as threatening, and it would be kind of weird for them to do that. Um, but I guess, in a certain sense, it would be kind of weird for them to adopt Christianity. It would be more logical for them to adopt uh, Muslim or uh, Islam just because of the proximity of Islamic, Islamic states to China. And there are some, like the Uyghurs are Islamic uh, ethnic group uh, within China as well. So with those reasons, that would make more sense in terms of proximity why they would adopt it. I don't know. I personally don't think culturally it fits with them as well, uh, but that's kind of me reaching. Um, but the, you know, Christianity and Islam are, of the religions that are out there right now, are uh, ideologically the closest so because of that closeness, like Islam could see it as the, the Islamic community could kind of see that as mis, a missed opportunity of a potential billion converts to their religion and becoming the predominant uh, religion without uh, throughout the world. And so uh, they could see that as a threat to uh, Islam and, and a potential uh, receding in Islam, and it could damage those relationships uh, on their border states, potentially make them uh, not just friendly or allies, but potentially enemies. Is that something that China really wants to deal with? I'm guessing not. So it seems like, you know, on the geopolitical landscape, 
is it worth this risk? Is it is it worth, um, you know, thinking from pure ge- geopolitical type thing? Is it worth compromising those uh, alliances for maybe a slight upsides within your society and and maybe an increased sense of nationalism? Like, there's a lot of question. There's a lot of potential downside question marks here, uh, and maybe limited to uh, no upside from the Chinese perspective. So maybe they wouldn't do it. But I still think it's a potential good move. I think it'll give them a strong moral uh, fiber and uh, baseline to work from and grow as a society in the long term. But again, that's there's no way for me to quantify that strictly. So it's hard to say exactly. But that's kind of all my thoughts on that. I just wanted to kind of Get them out there and, and see what people think. I'd be interesting. I should probably email uh, a couple people that are, are much more in tune with, with China and, and how they think and see what their perspectives are on it. Um, so maybe I'll do that, and if I get some responses, maybe I'll throw that into uh, the next podcast or something like that. But hopefully you guys found this interesting. Uh, and if you did, uh, leave a leave a like, leave a comment. I'm on uh, BitChute and Podbean and uh, YouTube. <laughs> The biggest one, I forget the name of, of course. Uh, So thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Uh, This has been According to Andrew, and I hope you guys have a good day. Goodbye.